Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of The Flight Stuff. My name is Liam O'Donnell. I am one of the co-hosts and the founder of Cinepunks.com. I'm Adriana Gober, a managing editor of Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a contributor to Cinepunks.com. And we are so excited to be with you here on our sixth episode. We are zipping through. Uh, we're on this episode going to be talking about issues 14, 15, and 16 of Alpha Flight, a very... Uh, watery dangerous tale <laughs> involving <laughs> creatures and things that we thought were resolved in past issues but before then uh, i want to take a moment and thank everyone who checked out uh what was a very intense episode okay maybe not that intense episode number five it was intense only in that we covered uh the death of guardian um it's weird to think that this is actually the first real plot line we're jumping into in a post-Guardian world. Uh, mm. How did you all feel about that going in? Did you expect something new and interesting? Did you expect something uh, uh, that was going to continue some of the plot lines that were related to Guardian? Before we jump into any of these issues, Doug, what are you thinking about this new Guardian-less world that we're in in Alpha Flight? I mean, that issue certainly felt like a turning point for the series. Uh, so, so I, you know... It, I think it's meant to be at this point a bit of a jumping on point for people curious about the series. Uh, and we, we get sort of, uh, almost a rehash of some of the early incidents that we've already, uh, experienced in the, uh, uh, series proper. And so I'm really curious about it, though I have to say it, it still feels like the series hasn't gelled in terms of a superhero team working together. And that does not change over the three issues that we're going to talk about today. I agree. We haven't yet. It, it, we so far have basically seen the team Alpha Flight twice in the <laughs> uh, thirteen issues leading up to this line, and we still don't get to see them all in one. Uh, Adriana, you are like me have read uh, enough Alpha Flight outside of this podcast to know what the team looks like without Guardian. But on this reread, were you excited to see? Sort of remind yourself where the series goes right away. Were you kind of like missing Guardian? Do you not care about Guardian because he was kind of a waste <laughs> of a character anyway? What do you think of going into this new Guardianless world? I was not missing Guardian, <laughs> which you know, with all due respect to to Mister Hudson, he was not one of my favorite characters. Um, I pretty much agree with everything that Doug had to say, and I also was. You know, coming into these three issues we are about to discuss, I was expecting a, a bit of a breathing room, so to speak, not only for Alpha Flight themselves, but for the readers to sort of adjust to Alpha Flight post-Guardian. And I'd say we we do sort of get that, but the action ramps up pretty quickly, um, and we find ourselves in another very bizarre situation surrounding Marina. I think you nailed it there, which is that you're not missing Guardian at all, and you were expecting you were expecting some way to sort of see the team do something together and not necessarily a Marina storyline immediately after Guardian's death. <laughs> I, I was looking forward to that. I I know one of us was. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, one other thing, which is that I years and years ago I decided I was gonna read the Uncanny X-Men from the point that uh, the, basically the, the sort of relaunch in the 70s where Wolverine giant joined. Giant size number one. Yeah, exactly, right? So I, I read probably maybe five or six years, uh, well, into the 80s uh, of the issues of that. And one of the things I most loved about reading that were the downtimes in between adventures where you got a little bit more character development and it got a little bit more soap opery. And we're, we, we're 
hitting a lot of those notes here. And I do think that it, it, the issues benefit from us getting to see the interactions between the characters. And I just wish, again, that we'd see them in sort of a mass group as opposed to everyone being separated into pairs. I think, and Adrian, I'm going to ask you uh, to comment on this as well in a sec. I think that there's two things that are different that are affecting this. One, Alpha Flight has no home. They don't have mm-hmm. a base. They don't have a central location. The last time we saw them meet up, it was on a random hill in the woods. It's like, True. we're going to meet up. Let's go meet on that random hill in the forest. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. They don't have a centralized location, whereas the X-Men had downtime in a place that they shared together. They had a community. The other thing was um, Claremont's Westchester, as well as his New York, are exciting places filled with interesting characters. <laughs> Burn refused to sh- refuses, I feel like, to show us that much interesting community in Canada. With the exception, I think, of the um, the storyline with uh, Northstar and Aurora, where they go back to Northstar's old neighborhood. And that was the most, yeah, that was the most sort of textural, we're in a place and that place has people in it that matter. Uh, whereas Claremont's uh, Westchester for the X-Men is filled with interesting people who are not mutants or superheroes, and they're just hanging out, and there's still stuff that happens that's worth telling us about. Um, and, and Byrne doesn't have that. Adriana, have you thought about that as well, that... Um, this idea that the downtime uh, issues of Alpha Flight maybe don't have the same appeal as the X-Men, or do you think that they're similar and do this function in the same way? It's weird because in one sense, this series is very Canadian, but in another, it sort of isn't because it just, it doesn't have that, that sense of like time and place in the same way that Uncanny X-Men really captures the sort of New York sensibility. Like I don't feel that I have, a very good grasp of, I guess, Canadiana or like what it feels like to be in Toronto or the other numerous locations. Sure. Yeah. It's sort of of defined solely by the landscape, right? Because, you know, you're, you know, you're in on the West Coast because you see more trees, you know, you're on the East Coast because there's more rocks, there's more city in the central parts. You're right. Yeah. There's, there's no real, you don't get a real sense that any of these locations are any different from one another aside from how the landscape is drawn. Yeah, exactly. And they don't spend any time live. I really do think it matters that every time you see them somewhere, again, except for that one run, it feels like they're visiting. It never feels like they belong anywhere. (laughs) They're always just passing through. And, you know, it's hard to have a sense of place when when it doesn't feel like the characters have a sense of place. Um, I don't know. It's worth it's something I think we should bring up. Uh, more into the future as we get uh, more of a variety of stories again we are uh, as much as i feel like you know we we're getting some ground now we're through our first year whatever it is still i guess early in the series and um you know my memories of the series are actually not as much these early uh, issues and more in the 20 and 30s uh, realm so maybe as we move forward we're going to see some more interesting plot lines and whatever um, no, I, again, not trying to diss too hard, but uh, it is, I think, true. We just had one of the most major events in the series, and all three of us are kind of like, all right, bye, Guardian, and just ready to move on. It's not necessarily a great side. Uh, let's jump into this issue number 14. Before we do that, I do want to mention uh, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters uh, f- through Cinepunks. That also supports this show, uh, and I think we would like to – Um, start putting up some Patreon content uh, for us. Maybe we'll talk about some guest appearances by our characters in other comics. 
Maybe we'll just talk about other comics we like. Maybe we'll just yell at each other. I don't know what we'll do, but it'll be more of us. And if you like that, <laughs> hopefully you'll be stoked on that as well. Uh, I also want to thank um, our one and lone sponsor, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Um, they hook us up with shirts. Uh, we don't have any flight stuff shirts yet, but you know we'll be thinking about doing some stuff. And we get them printed. It'll be at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They do a great job. Check them out, xlvacx.com. Uh, with all that out of the way, we're going to jump into the first issue of this three-issue run we're discussing, which is Alpha Flight, Volume 1, Number 14, from September 1984. I was five years old. Uh, the This is written, drawn, and the cover is by John Byrne. Doug, why don't you tell us what happens in this uh, engaging issue? So the main story, and the only story in this episode, is called Biology Class. Uh, it begins with the new beginning for Alpha Flight, as they're all still reeling from the loss of uh, their leader, Guardian. Snowbird is shown recovering from uh, the discovery that she's pretty much useless outside of Canada, and Shaman meets up with her and tells her to take it easy until she's all uh, better. Uh, and we do get a tease of something, which I really don't know what it is, where she's leaning against a rock, and after she leaves, it starts to seep out black stuff. Uh, I guess that'll pay off a little bit later. Uh, meanwhile, Puck and Heather uh, McNeil are relaxing by Ontario Place, which we'll talk about, I guess, in a little more detail. It is glorious Cinesphere. Uh, and they're grabbing a bite while they're discussing Heather's recent woes. She's really having a hard time. She's almost out of money. She doesn't really know what she's going to do. Puck's uh, advice is mostly, just don't think about it. <laughs> uh, a, a commotion draws their attention. Uh, and uh, Heather ends up diving into Lake Ontario to try to save a child that's pulled into the water by some unseen menace. Uh, the child's actually dies, which is actually quite a dark moment in this uh, issue. She uh, Heather gets her legs all sliced up uh, underwater, and she ends up in the hospital. Puck talks to the police, who reveal there's actually been a string of, of a similar gruesome murders throughout uh, Toronto. Uh, Puck then reaches out to Marina, who uh, at the moment, <laughs> he reaches out to her at the very moment that uh, Namor ends up proposing to her, but her Alpha Flight uh, uh, alarm goes off, and this time she's close enough to actually hear it. Uh, she runs to him, and uh, he tells her about what's going on. Um, Namor actually follows them, uh, though he'll enter the story a little bit later. Um Marina suspects that the sea monster or whatever it might be connects to her own origins, though I don't know really where she gets that idea. Uh, during all this, Aurora is having some weird mirror visions of her button-down alter ego and Shaman's daughter, uh, who we haven't heard of in a, for a long time. She digs up a skull during an ar archaeological dig, and then uh, the skull itself screams, Revenge! at her. So there's lots of different storylines being started, a lot of different places and directions we can go in, uh, but that's what we're up to right now. Thanks, Doug. Uh, uh, I appreciate that summary of what has a lot of stuff going on in it uh, in this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, let's start off with the first thing we see when we uh, engage this issue, the cover. Adriana, what did you think of the cover of issue number 14 of Alpha Flight? I think the cover is great. I mean, uh, we talked in our last episode about how uh, issue number 13's cover was sort of reminiscent of the cover art for a lot of horror comics. And this gives off similar vibes. But uh, no, just like all the details on the on the tentacles and the shot for looking from below underwater up to the surface, Burn really nails all the details. Doug, do you concur? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it is a uh, somewhat. <laughs> I was going to use the word lurid, but that, that's not really accurate. But we do see Heather. She's uh, dressed in pants and a bra, while Puck is kind of standing over. Uh, 
her while she's being pulled underwater by this tentacled creature. Uh, the perspective is a little strange, I think. Maybe it's just me, the way that the water seems to be above her position uh, comparative to Puck. Uh, it's a little hard for me to to work out the uh, the mechanics of how it all fits together. But certainly, I mean, you get the point. And uh, for someone like me who really does have a fear of being pulled underwater <laughs> and not being able to breathe. Um, you know, I, I the, the horror is uh, uh, is palpable. And I do like the text. What lurks in Lake Ontario? Very Canadian thing to have there. I also like how Byrne puts his own signature in one of the uh, bubbles on the uh, cover here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have to say, I disagree with you on the perspective. I love the perspective. I think it works really well. Uh, I yeah, think me too. The only part of it that's a little awkward is as she's being pulled below, she's letting out a bunch of air, and there are, there's all these bubbles coming out of her mouth. And the way that that's drawn, it kind of makes it look like she doesn't have a neck. Mm. So I feel like that part's a little weird. But otherwise, I love it. It's looking up. The water's above her. Like, she's clearly under the water. Puck is still on the dock, reaching out like he's going to do something, which, you know, whatever. I really love that. The only My only criticism, and this is true throughout the issue, and we'll talk about it in the art, is... um. This is so stupid. I don't even know what I'm saying. I got to say it. I think I don't understand how in my mind when I've jumped into water, when I'm wearing jeans that fit, they don't suddenly balloon out that way. Mm. I know it's a weird detail, but I really (laughs) notice it on the cover. They're very ripply. It almost made me think that he forgot what kind of pants she had on when she jumped into the water. Uh, But then when I look throughout the issue, they look the same when she's under the water. And that's a silly thing for me to care about, I know. But it's just something I noticed. Like, man, it's weird. Like, I feel like they should be more, like, sticking to her than, like, billowing out. But whatever. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Otherwise, I think the cover is great. And I really love the colors of the cover, which is like sort of off a little bit from what the colors are inside, but it creates like a weird underwater feel to it. Uh, Also very important. uh, Her bra is white in the issue, but hot pink here on the cover. (laughs) I, I, I did notice that. (laughs) Uh, I think that, I think there's like a, a, it doesn't actually explain the bra, but the rest of the cover has like a weird green tint to it. But I think that kind of adds to that undersea. There's something about green water that's more menacing, I think. So I kind of like that, the color scheme on the cover myself. Um, though I don't quite understand why the bra is pink. Adriana, any idea why there are bras pink on the cover? I mean, he he needed to, to draw attention, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. It works for me. I like the cover a lot. So uh, in this issue, as Doug pointed out, we have one main storyline, but a lot of other little bits going on. So why don't we start off talking about just the main kind of like, it's not really a mystery, but sort of like adventure thing. And then we'll hit on some of these other um, side stories that are also happening. Um, so we have uh, Heather and Puck are hanging out at this location. I don't know. We'll talk. I guess you'll you'll fill us in about what this is later, Doug, in your Canada facts. But they're at this place. Just They're just chilling. They're talking about what's going on. You're right. Puck sort of is not necessarily solving anything for her per se. Uh, and then there's this attack. And, um, you know, we just had what was a, a brutal series of issues. And we open up with random child murdered at the hangout spot. Mm. How did y'all feel about this? Doug, uh, you kind of mentioned it being a little dark. Were you surprised at this direction? Or do you feel like maybe this is like what we can expect now from Burn with this comic going forward? I mean, I don't know if we're, the the comic as a whole is taking a darker turn 
uh, and if this might be somewhat isolated. I mean, it does show that there are consequences, uh, though, I mean, we did see someone basically killed at the end of the, uh, the most recent issue as well. But, you know, I think a child, a frantic mother, it, it does kind of put it very front and center and, and make it seem a little bit more consequential generally. I was just a little surprised how little attention was paid to the fact that this child was di- uh, was killed. Uh, simply because, you know, uh, when, when Puck is calling for the police, it's like, we have an injured woman and a distraught mother. And it's just like, yeah, she's distraught. Very rightfully so. Her child was just murdered by a sea monster. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I don't mind the, the, the idea that we are shown that there's, uh, real, um, that there, there are violent consequences for, for what's occurring here. As the story moves forward, uh, we uh, do see a little bit more of Marina and Namor's life together. And then Marina comes to uh, sort of, uh, you know, be, be our undersea solution to this this issue. Uh, Adriana, I, I feel like this is bringing back a character that the two of us don't really much care that much about. Did this maybe endear you a little bit more to her? Or did you feel like this storyline, uh, just the beginning of this was necessarily exciting for you or maybe not so exciting. What did you think of this story? Well, I can't say I was too excited at the beginning, but, um, and this is something I'll, I'll get into once we get to that issue. But by the end of this arc, I have to say I, I did feel pretty sorry for Marina. So I want to I want to utilize Doug. I know Doug, you have some candid facts for us in a little bit, but there's one that is the thing is important to this storyline. Um, Doug, does Lake Ontario connect to the ocean or not? It's a great question, Liam. Uh, now it is freshwater, as they mention in the issue proper. Um, so mm-hmm. I my understanding is extremely limited. I don't think it does. So then my question is, not only how did this monster get into this water when we had already established that it was in the ocean previously, in the Atlantic Ocean, but also how does Marina get to the lake or anyone else? In fact, how do all of these sea-bound people end up in the lake? I don't quite understand how sea travel works in the world of Marvel because I actually think this isn't the first time this sort of thing has happened. I feel like there's been other times where the Submariner shows up in a body of water not directly connected to the ocean, which doesn't quite work for me geographically. So do we have any theories or are we just supposed to go, well, it's all water, so it's fine. There's probably an underwater tunnel they take. I don't know. It appears, Liam, now, I'm sorry, I didn't didn't, don't mean to interrupt just because I have the information in front of me. I, I am looking it up now and it does appear through the Niagara River. Lake Ontario does, oh, it does go through the St. Lawrence and its final resting place is in the form of the Atlantic Ocean. So in eventually, yes, that water could get to the Atlantic Ocean. So there, yeah. So I guess there's a possibility. Okay. Okay. I think you should chill out a bit, Liam, and uh, just suspend your disbelief. <laughs> cut, cut, burn a break here. <laughs> I, you know what? You're right. I should just. It just was my immediate thought was not just the monster, which I was like, that's interesting. I wonder how it got to Lake Ontario. It was more than uh, Marina just showing up at Lake Ontario, and I'm like, <laughs> how did she do that? Like, I, I expected her to like, I don't know, take another form of transportation to get from Atlantis to Lake Ontario, but she just swims there, and I just thought that was interesting. But you're right. I'm geographically limited, and I should just accept that Byrne knows more than me when it comes to <laughs> sea tra- sea tra- underwater sea travel. Um, okay, well, this is really just the intro. We don't get much more other than Heather fails to save a baby. 
<laughs> and Marina has uh, been hanging out with the Submariner, and apparently they're going to have a relationship. We also do get a brief little bit of information here about Atlantis pro- pro- possibly joining the United Nations. Mm. Uh, was that interesting? Was that a something that you all wanted to hear more about, Doug? Uh, I'll ask you directly. Um, or was that just sort of like a random bit of thing, like, I don't care about that? What, what did you think about that as sort of a, a plot point to shove in, in into this issue? It does kind of suggest, and the editor's note would also suggest, that they're trying to set up a upcoming miniseries for Namor. So I feel like that's kind of... Uh, the, the, one of the central things that's going to be dealing with theoretically. So I am, I personally, yes, I am curious about it because I like that idea of kind of a major sea change, <laughs> uh, in the Marvel universe, which would change those relationships. I think that that's kind of interesting because it's one of those more of, uh, I say lasting change or at least it'll last for a while and maybe impact other comics, but I don't necessarily expect it to play out here. Um, but I also feel a, Deep connection to Atlantis because my understanding is it's just off the coast of Newfoundland. Is it really? I wasn't sure where it was. I think so. You know, back in Newfoundland, we take Atlantis, not its existence seriously, but there is a um, undercurrent of people who feel a connection with Atlantis as a um, fanciful, fantastic well, That location. sounds like a bit of uh, social psychosis that uh, I'd love to explore sometime. Uh-huh. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I like it as a detail just to, because it connects it. I like anything that connects Alpha Flight back to the rest of the Marvel universe. That's cool. Sure. Um, yeah. I like that a little bit. Uh, we do get, as you mentioned, Doug, here, uh, Marina feels some connection to the creature. Uh, I don't, I guess it's just because she knows there's other aliens like her, maybe. Uh, that was a little bit in that narrative before. Um I don't know. I, I I thought that was a weird thing as well. But I I don't know. Adriana, was there anything else to say about this? I feel like we're going to dive more into the stories to go in future issues. Would you would it be now be a good time to talk about some of the other bits of uh, the issue that we get? Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about the uh, that brief little interlude with Shaman and Snowbird. Yeah, let's talk about it. What do you think about that? I think there's an interesting subtext to that conversation. Um, and this for the listeners at home, this is. This opens the issue. Shaman and Snowbird are sort of on some random mountain again. And he, he's basically telling her that he knows, quote unquote, the old ways, uh, meaning the indigenous traditions better than she does. And it's as though he's saying, like, you might dabble in this culture, but I'm the authentic one. Uh, but of course, as we see on the next page, he, he's also alluding to the fact that she's relatively new to the world but still i think in the context of a lot of our previous conversations about their relationship and how indigenous issues have been handled in this series thus far i think it's a really interesting moment yeah i don't know i my reading of it was just initially about her being young but i do wonder if there's some idea of like he has ancient knowledge that she doesn't really have or something i don't know doug what did you make of the sort of subtext of that conversation i always find this so kind of weird and a little bit awkward simply because she's this blonde white woman you know it's just it, it the idea that they would be even having this conversation feels like it's slightly inappropriate but i i did interpret it uh closer to how adriana did which is that um he was basically saying that he is steeped more in the spiritual aspects of this indigenous knowledge and that she, you know, it's something that she needs to spend more time on. However, the reveal that that he found her six years ago, that does introduce some issues <laughs> regarding <laughs> uh, 
regarding some of her future relationships, maybe ones that will play out in issues we're talking about uh, on this very show. But it seems like she aged very rapidly. I don't know how they could give her a cover story where she's a police officer if she's six years old. <laughs> I mean, they definitely falsified all of her identity stuff, whatever, whatever. Right? I mean, look. <laughs> okay. She's only six years old, but she's clearly not six years old in another way. And I think that right. I think that um, Byrne just seems very interested in y- – y'all can tell me what you think about this. Byrne seems very <laughs> interested in creating weird conflicts for all of his characters. Every character has to be a mix of things. You know, Puck, sure. Puck has to be funny but also dealing with deep pain. Heather has to be a natural leader who's racked with insecurities, same as James. Uh, and Snowbird is – an ancient force of power who's only six years old and doesn't know how the world works. And so, you know, I, I, I think he just likes, uh, or the most blatant and perhaps ham-fisted in some ways, but also interesting in some ways, uh, is Shaman with his whole, I'm a scientist of Western medicine, but also I'm this m- magical thing. Mm-hmm. Byrne just wants to create these dualistic whatevers, and I right. feel like that's partly what's going on with Snowbird, is like how can he put together these two things that are seemingly in conflict um, and sort of create some uh, some depth for her, and you know, even this story, he has this menacing aspect that I guess is going to come up later. Do y'all, I, I'll be honest, a lot of when we see these sort of hints about the future, I, from having read other issues, know what they're about. I can't remember what this gross stuff on the rock is i don't know what it is i don't know what it's hitting at hinting at do y'all have any thoughts about that like does that get you excited for a future thing maybe adriana you don't have to say what it is if you know what it is but do you have an idea of what it might be uh what did you think about it spreading stain sounds like a nine inch nail song circa 1994 and that is that is uh the totality of my thoughts on that Doug, what did you think about this as, as a way to end that little interlude? I, I have to say, the last thing I want is for Alpha Flight to fight another big monster in a featureless northern location. I just feel <laughs> like that we've we've seen it already. Uh, I hope it, it it is something a little bit more interesting than just some giant creature coming to the surface. But uh, I guess we'll see. We're not going to see in the three issues that we're uh, we're talking about today. I mean, I love this. Is one of the reasons I've been such a stand for. Uh, claremont when i was a kid he always had so many menacing things that worked out later and some that never did and i kind of <laughs> love those things in some ways i love the idea that there's always some more bit of knowledge that you have hasn't been shown to you yet um but in this case i don't remember what it is and i have not been uh, at this point there's just not enough there for snowbird like we haven't seen enough of her and so the idea that we're going to get more is both interesting and not at the same time i want more because i want more of that character but there hasn't been enough there for me to even be that interested so that i'm like oh cool there's some dark thing with snowbird it's like okay cool i mean i'd like to know who she is other than magical blonde lady which is basically all i get at this point we also get an interlude uh with uh, Aurora slash Jean-Marie that I found uh, unsurprisingly problematic. What did y'all think? Let's start with you, uh, Adriana, since you're laughing right now. What did you think of our bit of uh, Aurora that we get in this bathroom scene? It's a little extra. Yeah? I mean, she looks into the mirror and sees basically like her Jean-Marie side looking demonic and like reaching out from the mirror at her to strangle her. Not the most sensitively handled moment. 
Well, I mean, it doesn't actually give us more information about her mental illness. It's a weird representation. No, it just makes it it just makes it more scary. And... Yeah. But it's also clearly done to be honestly lurid. Like it's like a yeah. uh, a chance for him to be like, look how hot Aurora is, but also scary. And I don't right. need those I don't need those mixed together, actually. If you wanna I, I get it, it's a comic book. There's gonna be times where he draws uh uh, beautiful women. That's what people are doing at this time. I'm not going to judge him for that. But why he has to do that and then also be like, don't forget, she's she's got a crazy thing that's scary and crazy and look at it. Oh my gosh. That's it's so unnecessary. Yeah, and then to use, for lack of a better term, like her the the frumpy side of her to represent like this evil or the sick part of her is kind of t- twisted. <laughs> It's it's not my favorite choice. Doug, I know you love this, though. This is probably your favorite part of the issue. Uh, tell us about how uh, uh, cool and sexy you found this part of the issue. I mean, I think what Adriana said just then is is it the most important point of it, which is that we're now presented with the open, sexually free, you know, uh, and, and that's represented by the skin on display here, version of Aurora. That is the good one, the one that we're supposed to want to see all the time, and the button-down uh, you know, bespeckled, um, uh, you know, covered up by layers and layers. That's the one in the mirror that wants to be let out, but we don't want to see that because we we know that that's you know that's not who she is supposed to be. So you know, it, it doesn't allow for much nuance. It's it's uh, again, I still feel really mixed about this dual personality thing, especially uh, I don't know if it's in this issue or the next one where <laughs> where. Byrne basically chastises anyone who might refer to this as schizophrenia uh, because it's not the correct <laughs> medical term oh, for yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah, the correct term is classic paranoid. Uh-huh. Which is it, though? I, it doesn't sound right to me. I, I did find it interesting that apparently Aurora's inner monologue also has a uh, French accent. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but oh, look, my God. I'm willing to see where this goes. We We, we all knew that this was part like this struggle is part of what's coming up uh and at least she wasn't in that shower with walter that's true um (laughs) (laughs) the silver lining uh i i want to uh i want to keep us moving here we got a lot of ground to cover i do want to mention just story-wise we also get an introduction to something that's going to play out i think over a lot of issues if my memory serves which is the introduction well i guess not introduction we saw shaman's daughter briefly in like a flash like it wasn't a flashback it was a, his origin story right that we saw right. and now she's Absolutely. back in his adult and she finds a scary skull Woo! doug i know you unlike us are less familiar with this character uh and where she ends up going so i want to know from you is this something that we were excited to see to see where it goes and to see sort of uh what what's going to happen with shaman's daughter to me it's the most important important part of his background that needs to be addressed uh, simply because the idea – I mean he – for all intents and purposes, he abandoned his daughter after uh, his wife fell ill and, and passed away. And it's never been explained in any detail. And we are going to find out just in these issues that she has some harsh feelings towards him about it and as well she should. Um, and I'm, I have to admit I am curious about how their relationship plays out from there. The the more nuts and bolts aspect of her digging up a skull and it shouting at her. I, I mean, where that goes, hey, maybe it'll be interesting, maybe not. But I do want to see how she addresses uh, what must be, you know, basically her own father abandoning her. 
What's strange is that I think Byrne wants us to see it the other way around. I know, and I, I think know that it doesn't work. Like yeah. it can't be she abandoned him. She was a child. She doesn't get to abandon her parent. But it's it keeps coming across that way, and we'll see. I, I hopefully they have more of a connection uh later on. We'll see how that works out. Um I I think though, because I think it actually looks pretty cool when this skull does freak out, this would be a good time to talk about the art of this issue uh adriana what did you think of the art in this issue was there anything that stood out to you either as good or or as bad or was there anything that you found particularly interesting i love the texture of the bubbles when heather's struggling in the water and just the way burn illustrates water in general which we can get into more in issue number 15 but the moments by i think it's lake ontario is it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah all of those scenes i really liked and then, yeah, the uh, the skull moment really stands out as well. I like that entity because it's, uh, I think, burnt in uh, the issues we've seen is really starting to establish an aesthetic of the supernatural. That when, when yeah. these uh, godlike beings or supernatural beings or spirit beings show up, they're all drawn in a way that is similar enough that we associate them, but is unique enough that each one is interesting. And I really like it. It's one of the... Uh, through lines that started to come out in his art uh, for Alpha Flight specifically that I really appreciate. Um, so I like that moment a lot. Uh, uh, Doug, what did you think of the art in this issue? Did anything stick out to you? The thing that most stuck out to me was how many different location changes occur yeah. in this uh, mm-hmm. issue, right? I mean, we start in the far north, we go to Toronto, we go to BC, we go to... I mean, you just see a lot of different locations that have to be established and i think he does a really good job uh even though at the beginning of this uh, episode we mentioned that we haven't really we don't get a real sense of place in terms of the people and the action that goes on there but because he has to to rely or has chosen to rely on these uh on the landscapes he at least does a good job of establishing these are different places and they look different because of it so to that extent i think he does a really good job like uh adriana i like the underwater stuff a lot um, and I, I like how he draws Atlantis as well as it being this very otherworldly, um, almost organic looking place. I feel like he, that Burn doesn't really have a handle on how Marina is supposed to look because it's been established that she was seen as freakish, but she's also, uh, I, I hate to use that word, but just because of how she was treated, uh, when she was growing up or was, uh, or was expected to be treated. Um, and, but she's also supposed to be somewhat attractive and they draw her in this kind of curvy f- fashion to make it, I guess, more believable that Namor would, would, uh, be attracted to her. So it's, it's kind of strange, uh, how she's presented and it, it, I can see how this character didn't take hold simply because the design is a little weak, I think. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of that, but I, I think you might have a point there. Um, I was going to say, and maybe we can exclude Marina from that. I think that uh, this issue has a lot of very interesting character work. Um, yes, I, I think the water parts are really great too, but I also think there's just there's a lot of um, art of individual uh, characters in here that I really like that really stands out to me. Uh, and in fact, funny enough, while I think it's a bit exploitative and unnecessary, I think the actual art of like Aurora's hair and the character design in in that section is interesting um when puck is talking to the police officer there's a bunch of different um 
uh, drawings of the various people who've gone missing. There's a lot of up close of Heather while she's underwater. There's uh, even the part at the end. It's not just the skull, but the drawing of uh, Shaman's daughter that I just think there's a lot of uh, the, the, you know, not to say that the backgrounds are all bad or anything like that. I'm just saying in this issue, the attention paid to individual characters really stuck out to me. And I really appreciated it in, in a way where I feel like in other issues, it's been a bit shorthand. We've already talked on other episodes about how there's no canon as to North star's hair. His hair changes so often. Um, and in this issue, I felt like there was a lot of detail to these characters that really established what they looked like in a way that I appreciated. Uh, and it really stood out to me. Um, again, the backgrounds were fine. Um, the action sequences were fine. The water stuff was super, Superb, but I just think the character drawings in this issue felt very detailed and exact to me. So I appreciated that. Okay, let's move on to issue 15 from volume one of Alpha Flight, uh, October 1984, written, penciled, and covered by John Byrne, but with a brand new anchor, Bob Wyacek. Doug, why don't you tell us what happens in issue 15? <laughs> Well, remember many issues back when Snowbird escaped from the prison and I was wondering if that would ever be addressed? Well, they decide to address it at the beginning of this issue. She pays a visit to her co-worker, Doug Thompson, who I have a, a kinship with since we share a first name. Uh, and she reveals that she is Snowbird to him and he reveals that he's in love with her, uh, which uh, is a little bit awkward. And I'm, I have to admit, I am curious where his this potential relationship with a six-year-old is going to go. Um, he's also lives in a... like. All that we know about this guy is that he's boring at this point. Marina, who uh, has agreed to search for the mysterious creature in Lake Ontario, she heads into the murky depths in a lengthy sequence. She almost gets uh, stuck down there. Uh, but she sees something off screen that is apparently surprising, and it turns her into her feral form that almost uh, tore Puck to shreds early in the run. Uh, not as exciting as that is Aurora, who is still in the bathroom, uh, still a little traumatized by seeing her other self. Uh, and, uh, she's, um, she's, I think this is the point where she gives herself a haircut, which I imagine we'll, uh, we'll get to see in some future issue as well. So Marina and Puck, they fight. Uh, Puck is, of course, trying not to hurt her, but Namor doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't know who Puck is. He jumps into the fray, knocks Puck unconscious, uh, and then he discovers that Marina is completely out of control and he has to fight her himself. While this is going on, it's being watched by a mysterious shrouded figure. After Marina blinds uh, Namor using a, uh, up to this point, uh, unrevealed power, uh, this uh, shrouded figure reveals himself to be the master, or as he calls himself, the master of the world. Uh, and also, uh, Elizabeth, two young men, she has a reunion with her father. She's very angry. She says she has questions for Shaman. So I guess she knows his superhero form, which I guess makes sense since it looks exactly like her father. Uh, but uh, that will play out uh, in a future episode of this show. All right. Thanks, Doug. Uh, let's start where you'd start with any comic. The cover. Uh, Doug, what did you think of the cover of issue number 15? I mean, it makes me curious, right? Because I still I still do have this affection for Marina, uh, even though I uh, have mixed feelings with how this whole thing has played out up to this point. I do want to see this character succeed. So seeing her in her feral form once again and battling the Submariner, hey, that's interesting to me. And Puck is by far at this point my favorite character in Alpha Flight. So seeing that he's involved with it, you know, it's just a big fight scene. It's it's Marina. She's attacking Namor. We see uh, a a hunched over Puck in the foreground. It's it's exciting. I 
I would say that if I was a person at the time, it wouldn't necessarily entice me to open it unless I cared about, you know, these characters. And But, you know, we just saw these people uh, – we just saw uh, Namor uh, propose to her in the previous issue and now they're fighting. I guess I would want to see how that played out or what led to that happening though – uh, since since this storyline is very similar to like the second issue of Alpha Flight, uh, I probably could have guessed even from the cover. Uh, Adriana, what do you think of this cover for Alpha Flight number fifteen? I really like it. It's a great action piece with Namor and Marina duking it out in the center, and then you see uh, the sea raging in the background and the waves crashing against the rocks, and, and Puck is more in the foreground, sort of climbing over the rocks trying to get out of the way. But uh, there's some thicker line work on this cover that I really like on the, on the figures, especially like on Puck and on Namor. I like this cover a lot. Yeah, I, I got to say, I kind of disagree with you, Doug, a little bit in that I think actually this cover would be more interesting to me if I'm not a regular reader of Alpha Flight. I think someone who's unfamiliar with Alpha Flight but who knows the very popular character, uh, Namor, would see this and go, oh, look, Namor's in this. He's fighting some green lady. Or I guess if you've been reading Fantastic Four, you probably know who Marina is at this point. So it's like, wow, the, you know, they love each other, but they're fighting. There's this guy on the cover. I might be into it. I feel like actually as a regular reader of Alpha Flight, I'd be less interested in this cover, even though it is, I think, you're right, Adriana, an excellent cover. I might be like, wait a minute, <laughs> this again with Marina freaking out and attacking everybody? I, I think I think this is the issue, is that it's a great cover for a plot point I am already tired of, which is that we see Marina only a few times throughout Alpha Flight, and she's always going feral and attacking the one she loves. Is this all we're going to know about this character? Is that she can't be trusted? It's not It's not my favorite plot, but um, as simply a cover in and of itself, it's so dynamic. I think the line work is very good, and I think it's one of the better covers we've seen from Byrne. Um, I just, you know, knowing the issue would be like, great, here it comes this again um that's nothing against the art of the cover it's more about the story itself mm. um as we jump into the story i actually want to before we get into the main story which is the continuation of last issue i actually do want to just get out of the way this thing with snowbird in the beginning um and i want to get it out of the way because i hate it and i hate this guy <laughs> and i hate this story and i don't want to know anything about her love life with this really boring cop uh doug you seem like someone who would actually love a story about a cop in love. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you feel about this plot? I mean, this guy sucks, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, he's sympathetic to Snowbird, which is nice. So he obviously were at this point supposed to think he's a good or decent guy. But literally the the issue starts with them saying, you know, it's like this guy's boring. Look how boring his life is. He is in love with his coworker. Uh, he never got the you know chance to tell her he's cured. And she is like a fugitive. Which, which really wasn't established. We knew that she escaped from the prison that she really shouldn't have been in in the first place since that didn't make any sense. But she busted right through the wall. I wonder what he really thought happened at that point. But the, you know, him, her revealing to him that she's Snowbird, uh, the fact that he decided to use that as the time to profess his love to her is weird and off-putting in a way that makes me wish that they would just drop this entirely. And, and not only that, but... His big idea, his grand gesture to win her over, like this last-ditch effort, was him basically saying, hey, I'm not actually a nice person. <laughs> I wasn't helping you because right. I'm, I'm, I'm a nice dude. I had ulterior motives. I was motives. hoping to get some play out of this. 
Yeah, it's it's lame and it's so unnecessary because like I think we've said this from the beginning, she doesn't need an alter ego and I don't believe that her real identity is like, hey, boring man, let's let's make a life together. Why? Why is that a thing? If, if there is an explanation, the only explanation available is because she's only six years old. And so she doesn't know how inappropriate this relationship is or she doesn't care. Um, I will say the only interesting part about, about this for me was something that I think Doug should have brought to us but didn't, which is an explanation about why she was in jail. We've said from the beginning it doesn't make sense except for what he suggests is that her not being at work is not like someone not showing up for work. She went AWOL, which is an actual explanation for her being in jail. Doug, this is your fault. Why are you such a failure? Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you can jail somebody immediately, like literally just throw them in jail uh, for that purpose, especially because that wasn't explained in that issue proper. It seems like a retcon, as they say. I do want well, to mention the, the explanation seems to be that the the Royal Mountie police functions like the <laughs> army. And so therefore, it, it is actually true, Doug. Maybe you don't know this. If you don't show up for work in the army, you go to jail immediately. Don't pass go. Don't have a trial. You go to jail. You have a trial later. You might which... not know this, Liam, but cops are not the army. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Then why does he use the term AWOL? This is what I'm saying. Either you're either you failed at explaining what this is. I'm guessing John Byrne doesn't know that the Army and the RCMP are not the same thing. L- right. Look, I'm speaking as the son of a uh, father who was named Doug, who was a sergeant in the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. Oh, there yeah, you go. And he would take weeks off all the time. Just kidding. He didn't. <laughs> but but my understanding is that you wouldn't necessarily call that a well. He might have just been speaking like metaphorically that that it's not you know sure, it's sure, not sure, exactly sure. a well. But you can't just disappear. Especially, I mean, the fact is. He's in the Northwest Territories. They don't have a lot of options. It's not like you have all of these replacement police officers available. Maybe the rules are a little bit more tight there. Though you think they would have just fired her instead of putting her in jail? I just want to mention, Liam, that the description of this gentleman is that he is a man of simple tastes and simpler means. What a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I do. I do. I just I actually brought it up because I thought he probably is wrong about that, that probably you aren't going AWOL if you don't show up. But it it is the only explanation for why they could put her in jail, because even as a police officer, not showing up for work is not actually a jailable offense. Yeah, Um, well, I think part of it, too, was just Byrne trying to illustrate that her boss was a sexist blowhard. mm. So he gave her the harshest punishment possible for. Uh, a relatively minor offense. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, okay, so let's talk about what happens here, which is that uh, Marina goes to explore what could be going on, what the horror is at the bottom of Lake Ontario, which I do appreciate because we are creating a scenario where Marina's powers uh, actually have a use. Mm-hmm. Um, and she finds this chamber, and then she returns from the chamber and she's feral again, and she's going after Puck. Um, are we supposed to have a sense of deja vu with this, Adriana? Or is this supposed to be a new and interesting story for us? I think it's supposed to be a new and interesting story, but the sense of deja vu is absolutely there. It's 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 a little weird, right, as a decision? Well, yeah, because we've already seen this happen. There is no reason for like rehashing this this story with marina like i really wish we would get someone would just list what marina's powers are because we know that she has some kind of control over water from the first issue but like this like she almost dies because she gets stuck between two rocks 
I mean, is she is she not? I guess she isn't super strong. She can swim really fast. She has some version of like echolocation because she doesn't need to see underwater. And we find out that she can blind people from her stuff that she seeps out of her hands. But it, you know, this is something that also is concerning on the puck side as well, which is that I don't like it when people just reveal their abilities when they need them mm-hmm. uh, because it, it feels like this deus ex machina every time it happens. Uh, and with her, it's so ill-defined what she can and can't do. I also, it's just so strange that she lived, what, 20 however many years of her life and this feral thing was never an issue. And then it just seems like now it's all she can deal with is the fact that she needs to see something, some un, un you know, some monster just makes her go monstrous. I also think it's weird because I mean, you're right with the ill-defined powers, but we see her get stuck between rocks, and then we see her go, not completely toe-to-toe, but somewhat toe-to-toe with Submariner, a guy Mm -hmm. who has fought the Hulk before. So, (laughs) you know, I think one of the nerdiest things we can do, and I I want to avoid it, is be the guy who's like, the powers don't make sense. I I have no patience for that. Yeah, I was at an event where... uh, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates was in a comic shop talking about his work uh, on Black Panther, and a guy spent a good 15 minutes challenging him on his power levels for Black Panther. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was like a real thing for him. And Ta-Nehisi Coates actually, by the way, could cite by issue where he was justified in his use of powers of Black Panther. <laughs> Just so you know, he is that kind of nerd. But for me, I thought... You got the man in front of you, and this is all you could talk about is whether the power levels work out. Now, don't be wrong. I do think sometimes it can be annoying when it's an obvious thing. If you're going to show me Puck kicking the Hulk in the face, some part of me is still going to be like, eh, does that work? I don't know. But um, but it is kind of an issue only in that we don't know what Marina can do. It would be helpful if we just knew you know, she can fight whoever because she's strong or no she's not strong she can just swim really fast it would just be good to just say it um just so we have some idea of who it is that we're uh dealing with here but on the other hand i do have to say burn has made it somewhat of of a mystery because uh she doesn't know herself right she isn't aware of who she is yeah adriana talk a little bit about that uh the idea that she isn't even aware of who she is as a character like who she is as a as a being Right, I was going to make that point. I think the idea is that she is just discovering the full extent of her powers because as she gets closer in proximity to, you know, other other beings of her race, it sort of unlocks that part of her. So if she doesn't know about it, uh, there there really like isn't any way for the comic to address that aspect of her un- until she does know. But it is also kind of a cop out. Like I totally get what Doug is saying about how ridiculous it seems when, uh, right. the when characters develop powers of convenience, which, in, uh, in a sense, that's sort of what's going on here. Right. But I also think there is a logical reason for for why, um, these powers are only coming into play in issue fifteen. Well, and I think this is this is sort of the balance, right? On one hand, you don't want to be, and I'll just say it, beholden to ridiculous nerds who want to challenge you over and over again about all these details that like are somewhat, I don't know, uh, not superfluous, but just 
we are dealing in a fantasy world where not every detail needs to be completely worked out. On the other hand, it can be a bit of a writer's crutch to just be like, I've ridden myself into a weird situation. I know they have this other power now. Right. Um, and it becomes honestly just a puzzle for some future writer to work out. I think that happens a lot where it's like, this doesn't make sense, but it's not my problem and it won't be my problem <laughs> at all. It'll be someone else's problem. Um, and that's always a frustrating thing as well. Uh, that being said, um, the only thing about this issue that really sort of bummed me out, and it make it totally makes <laughs> sense, is the master showing up. I just don't yeah. like the master. It's important. It totally makes sense that he's there, but even the way they do it just bummed me out. Doug, how did you feel about the return of the the lauded <laughs> yeah. supervillain, the master of the world? The most important thing about the return of the master is that he apparently knows the Vulcan nerve pinch because he just touches puck's neck and he just collapses in his arms um the master's i'm like why should we care about like he gets a full page reveal here like this is like this huge return uh and it's really our you know our first returning villain in the series and i guess you know he's being set up as as a guy who's like very important and tied in to the mythos of alpha flight in some way but like he was defeated comparatively so easily last time he just you know his whole lair was blown up and then he just vanished and i guess we all figured okay he'd be back but this seems really soon a soon for him to be back and when we discover like more of what his plan is it's it's just super lame it's basically exactly the same as before but we'll talk more about that in the next issue. yeah i don't want to spend too much time actually on this i guess because you know it really becomes comes to a head in the next issue but yeah. I will say it is a big reveal, and it was not one that I was stoked on. I think it's supposed to be exciting, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this idiot. Like, come on. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to, though, spend a little bit of time on Shaman's daughter, Elizabeth. Uh, she, you know, after years of separation, confronts her father. Uh, and it it's intense, but I, I don't know what to make of it. It seems, I mean, I guess what I'm, I felt, and you guys can each tell me what you think about this, the way that he's... Uh, pacing this where it's just quick little moments uh, leading somewhere it feels a little cheap to me only because it has been so long and there's so much emotional baggage between them I feel like if we're going to get it it should get more time but maybe I'm being too picky about that it just feels like it's thrown out there and it needs a little bit I don't know it needs more space to breathe so we understand how she can even show up even though she says very poignantly or I guess pointedly here uh you know I need to talk to you as shame and not as my father uh it just it comes across as too quick to me Doug what what did you think about that I mean maybe we would feel that that was less the case if this actually continued in the next issue but it doesn't so it really does feel like you know you're getting little bits of it but especially because it is such a dramatic moment that has been built up to, uh, you know, cutting it off at the knees does feel um, unsatisfying for sure. And and it, it this this little piece that we have here it does reinforce what you suggested on the last issue, Liam, which is that she is not presented very sympathetically here. She is, you know, all we see of Shaman in any of the issues so far is that he is, you know, responsible and respectable and he's almost like if anything he's kind of more of a leader than guardian ever was to some of the people uh and 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 speaks with a real authority we see him here surprised and shocked but not like uh 
apologetic, which you kind of would think that he would be under this situation. And she comes at him in a very aggressive manner, as well as she should under the circumstances. So I am very curious to see where this plays out. And I kind of wish that we wouldn't have to wait so long to see it play out. Yeah, I got to agree. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the art here. Doug, I mean, you already talked about how you hate the cover and you think it's trash and you think that we're <laughs> bad people for liking it, which, you know, I was very offended by. But I just want to know a little bit about what you thought about the art in the rest of this issue. I mean, once again, the underwater material, I think, is where it really shines. I, I feel like it forces Byrne to be a little bit more creative regarding, you know, its presentation. And and for some reason, I feel like he does more work on the backgrounds when it's underwater material as well. And I really like it. I really like how it all plays out. I like that uh, when she goes deeper, when, when Marina goes deeper into the ocean, that it gets, you know, it, it really is a sense of um, complete darkness and that she is totally alone. And so I like that whole sequence. The rest of it, eh, the, it's it's okay. Uh, I, I Nothing really stands out for me. What I really want to know is if anyone notices a significant difference in the art with the addition of this new inker. No, I was going to comment on that too. Like I think I think Wyacek is an inker who is very faithful to the original pencils. He pretty much looks good on everyone because he sees the essence of what's there and adapts and just does enough to sort of accentuate what is already there. So I don't know how if you guys have seen any of his other stuff, but he also inked Burn on Sensational She-Hulk and he worked on X-Factor and Brave and the Bold and a bunch of other stuff. And he's always just like a very he's a I would say he he's he's like a very workmanlike inker. I do think that the final image that big reveal of the master I, I do think it's it's actually like a really nice image. I, yeah. I feel like I would appreciate it more if I cared about the fact that it was the master being reviewed. I agree with that. And I agree with you, Adriana, too. That he's not I mean, okay, I, I I'm saying this and I'm no expert when it comes to comic book art, even though I've read lots of comic books, but my general feeling is that when an inker is very present in the sense that I can tell a huge difference, it kind of bums me out a little bit. Um, in that I, I think the Inkers there should be there to complement what is going on already in the art um, and shouldn't be uh, I, I again I, I say that as if I am some expert when it comes to comic art I don't think I am I think I'm someone who's read a lot um, and I can only think of a, of a couple of times I'd have to find them where I felt like the difference between the inks and the pencils was maybe distracting a little bit mm-hmm. um, I don't feel that way about this and I and I feel like it's a smooth transition and I appreciate that because I don't want a huge change one of the things I appreciate about burn is the art even if i don't think he spends the time with the backgrounds that he should overall i like his art and i think it it, it it's fine here as well uh let's talk about alpha flight volume one issue 16 from november 1984 also written penciled and covered by john Byrne. doug what happens in this our final issue for this episode Oh, it's the exciting conclusion, Liam. In the story, and forsaking all others, uh, it begins with Namor and Puck. They're being held prisoner by the master, uh, who decides to explain, you know, how did he survive uh, when they blew up his lair the last time, when Alpha Flight did it. And he says that basically it blew up, he was thrown free, and he had built a giant submarine in the shape of a fish for that exact eventuality. Uh, eventuality. So he's fine. Um, so Puck is, is stuck in a giant tube, as is the Submariner. Um, Submariner is uh, drying out, so I guess that's going to kill him. And there's not much oxygen for Puck. So what he does is he uses an ancient Chinese 
method of slowing his heart rate so he appears to be dead. So the master releases him. Then he springs to life. He frees Namor, but Namor basically can't do anything because he's so dehydrated. Then he takes the master's helmet off. But uh oh, that helmet was apparently controlling the whole ship. So it starts to plummet in the uh, in the ocean uh, immediately and crashes. Uh, it explodes. Namor is really worried about Marina, but she's he can't find her. And as uh, Puck uh, mentions to him, and very sensibly, you know, she can breathe underwater. I can't. Let's get the hell out of here. And so he throws Puck against, like, the, the current of the water, like, upwards into the water, and then takes him to the surface. Uh, they, they arrive at the surface. Namor and Marina... Uh, sorry, Namor and Puck have a conversation about how he's really worried about Marina. He doesn't know where she is. Uh, Puck tries to reassure him. Namor leaves. And then Marina reveals that she was hiding behind him the whole time, that she's concerned about uh, her her feral side and whether she can exist with Namor or really anybody. And so she goes off to, I guess, find herself in some uh, in some manner. Meanwhile, while all that's going on, uh, Box, remember that character Box uh, from the the most recent episode of this show? Uh, he's invited someone named Madison Jeffries to his house because this guy Madison has the ability to transmute technology. Basically, he can build stuff really quickly with, uh, I guess, his mind. And he wants to rebuild his Box robot in order to track down Jerome Jackson and Delphine Courtney, who apparently are still alive. I mean, I guess uh, Delphine, it makes sense that she's alive, but I thought Jerome was killed in that battle with uh, Guardian. But anyway, they're both still alive. He's going to rebuild this robot with this guy, and they're going to track him down and get revenge for the quote-unquote murder of Guardian, though I don't think Guardian was actually murdered. I feel like he he used his own suit to short-circuit the box robot, and then when trying to take it off, he blew up. I don't know if that's necessarily murder. Uh, so he... Uh, Heather is also recovering from her leg injuries, and she gets visited by Wolverine. To John Byrne's credit, he does not put Wolverine on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, remember Northstar and Sasquatch? We don't get to see either of them in any of these three issues that we just I mean they are in an ad at the end for future Alpha Flight so that was fun Uh, but yeah they're not in there Uh, hey let's let's talk about that cover that doesn't feature Wolverine much to John Byrne's credit Um, Doug what did you think of this cover for Alpha Flight number 16 I wish the events of the cover happened in the issue proper. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I forgot that Puck has a great costume that we never actually get to see him in <laughs> his issues as well. So what we see here is the Submariner smashing out of this tube that he's stuck in uh, while Puck in full uniform is uh, basically drop kicking the master in the face. Uh, I like the action that uh, that is occurring, but I don't really necessarily like the layout. It's kind of awkward uh to my eyes um but you know i like these characters i like uh, you know i don't like the master but i like puck and i like the idea of him teaming up with namor for some sort of battle so to that extent uh i i you know it makes me curious about the uh the events i don't know about how that the bottom of puck's shoe (laughs) looks a little (laughs) it looks like his leg is on backwards (laughs) Yeah, Adriana, what did you think about that? It, it, it stuck out to me as well. There's something going on with Puck. I was going to comment on that too. The, his proportions are, are off a little bit, or just the anatomy. Other than that, I, I agree with Doug. I think this is mostly a really great cover. I like some of the details here. I mean, maybe something went wrong with Puck's leg and foot. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the tiled floor, it looks polished. Like, it has a sheen to it, which is fantastic. Uh the shattered glass with Namor breaking through his containment is fantastic as well. 
There's something, like, I feel like there's something a bit odd with how the master is positioned, too. I feel like if the master's leg was straightened out, that he'd be, like, 12 feet tall. Yes. (laughs) I think you're right. I think the proportions of the master are always off because of this weird metal collar he has. His (laughs) shoulders are always too low from where his head is. It's like he has a superhuman neck. It's very, it's, it's always a little weird. And on this cover, it's very weird. And then his legs, like Doug said, are just strange. All of his proportions seem strange. I feel like the only body that makes sense to me is Namor, but uh, I don't know. But you're right. The rest of it, it's funny because I feel like I don't understand the anatomy of Puck or the Master, and yet I like this cover a lot. It's it's a weird it's a weird uh, thing going on there. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I I agree that the rest of it and the glass shattering specifically is really cool. Yeah, um, and I wish that happened in the issue, but it doesn't. All right. Uh, so as Doug pointed out, this is the end of this exciting adventure that we're on with the Master and uh, Marina, and we get this explanation, which is that. The master wasn't defeated, Doug, in that story. You were wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, this was his plan the whole time. They actually uh-huh. freed him from his prison That's of right. the ship. And now he's the master again of everything because he's the master and he's really great. Uh, uh, Adriana, um, what did you think about this explanation for the master and his masterful mastering ways of masterdom? It was a little goofy. One of the things I liked a lot about this issue, though, is the return of the body horror that we've seen a little bit in the previous uh, Master storyline. A lot of it, of what Byrne is doing here, recalls uh, Carpenter's The Thing, once again. Because you have this alien being with no true form that assimilates the DNA of whatever or whoever it comes into contact with and takes on their traits, which we see in a really horrific moment with that missing baby uh i just think it's really grotesque and visceral and effective uh i i i think that burns interiors on this issue just in general are are really great um he draws machines and metal very Mm -hmm. well and there's a lot of that in the master's fish vessel (laughs) do you feel like adriana that this story has some lovecraftian elements Oh, yeah, with the tentacle monster, sure. Yeah, there's something about that creature. And even just the master with his ancient technology. There's a, there's a whole right. sort of aesthetic to what's happening. I wish I found the master as a character more compelling because there's aspects of the story with the alien creatures that I do find compelling. Uh, and similarly with, with Marina, uh, you sort of hinted at this earlier in this episode, but the way that this sort of plays out is just sad that, that you know, here's this... Uh, a woman who wants to you know be a part of positive things and have this life with with uh, uh, Namor and and she can't help that she's connected to this other sort of horrifying uh, uh, plan and creature and and you know in some ways the tragedy of who she is uh, the master feels superfluous to that. <laughs> like, what's going on with her is 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 bad anyway. I think Byrne is trying to make the master a sort of like high evolutionary or Mister Sinister type 
figure, but he just doesn't have the gravitas or like anything else that is interesting about those characters. Doug, what did you think about this story? And I, I know you're a huge Submariner fan. Um, how did you feel about the action with Submariner <laughs> and the and the Master? The Master is such a loser, and I think that's kind of a problem. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, I understand that now we're supposed to think that the reason all that stuff went down where he was really easy to defeat the first time was basically because it was his plan that he was going to get uh, let free from his imprisonment. Uh, and but now he he you know basically the same thing happens here. They take off his helmet and he's like, "No, you fools! I can't control anything." And then his ship explodes and he vanishes again. And I'm sure he's going to appear again. And maybe that time he's like, "No, I wanted you to blow up my fish submarine. That was the plan all along." Uh, so because this is very much a rehash of that earlier story, um, uh, in some ways, it doesn't feel very significant. That said, I do like the idea of. Namor having a respect for Puck and them having some sort of, you know, kind of buddy relationship, which I do not know if we'll ever see in any context again. And and Puck has really revealed himself to be one of the more interesting and sympathetic characters in this entire series. We saw, of course, him, you know, providing a sympathetic ear to Heather. And now we see him even give it to Namor, even when he realizes that Marina is watching the whole time. And then he provides sympathy to her, too. I mean, he's the only kind of complex and nuanced uh, uh, member of Alpha Flight. And uh, he, in some ways, he's much more of a leader, taking more of a leader role than Guardian ever really did. Uh, so, you know, I, I this issue, I don't really like this story uh, because I don't think it's going to be very satisfactory in terms of of where it's going to go from here um but i do want to see more puck and i do like some of the secondary story elements that are that are going on that 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 will i guess we'll see play out in future issues yeah i i agree with a lot of that as well i think with the master he also doesn't make any sense like the horror that happened to the master is the fault of the aliens who uh marina shares dna with but his revenge eventually he never gets there because he's very ineffectual his revenge is against the rest of the planet who actually have done nothing to hurt him in any way shape or form like why does he get to be or want to be the master of the world at all if anything he should just be trying to kill marina and the creature that he's he's sort of manipulating to be his force in the world all of his power comes from these beings and yet uh it it's just not clear either what his motivations is or why we should find him compelling and scary, especially since they take his helmet off and his entire plan comes apart because without his helmet, all of a sudden everything is in danger, which by the way is not very advanced technology. No, that also seemed a little like shoehorned in too. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, we already had to explain how he transformed from uh, the dude in the trench coat to the master at all. <laughs> all. None of these things make any sense. So, um, however, uh, if we were to look at this story as functioning in a few ways, uh, it, it, it functions to set up the master that I would suggest is a complete failure. It functions <laughs> to tell us what happens with Marina and the Submariner. At first, I was going to say that that was kind of a failure, but it's actually helpful in some ways because as Adriana has already said, but I would piggy off, piggyback off of her point. Um, I feel more compassion for Marina now than I ever did earlier on. Like, there's a little bit more there and, her, and and the tragedy of her story. Now, 
that doesn't mean I want to see more of her as a member of Alpha Flight. Um, But at least it does help me to understand who she is more. And it does function to show us more of how awesome Puck is. And so while it doesn't work in all the ways, as a way for me to be more interested in Puck and a future of Alpha Flight with Puck in it, it is actually very successful for me in that. Um, I'll, I'll kick it to you, Adriana. Obviously, we're not stoked on the master. It sounds like all three of us aren't into that. Do you feel like this this particular plot, and we'll talk about the other parts of the issue in a bit here, do you think that part is successful, that we see more of Puck, we care about Puck, we want to read more of Puck, and uh, and did it work for you as far as being a wrap-up for Marina as a character uh, for the foreseeable future? Yes, it worked for me, but the other wrap-up works for me too. So <laughs> Sure, exactly. I don't really know why we had... They go through it all over again. Doug has already made this point, but it might be worth mentioning. This is before Namor gets his comic. Is this just a way to exit Marina so that she's not part of his uh, his own solo series? Oh, right. Like, do you think that was part of the goal? Also, I don't know who wrote that solo series. Do you think that was Byrne making that decision or maybe another writer making that decision that we got to exit her out so that he has his own story going on? I, I don't know. I mean, that could be. I think they also could have just handled that with like, one bit of exposition that explained like, oh, Marina's not with me anymore because this happened. I don't know that we needed to have a few more issues of Alpha Flight dedicated to that. I do like, though, the idea that this is a more of an adventure for Puck in that it, yeah. it, it continues this it makes this more of a live question, which is, who will the leader be? Um, maybe this is me uh, uh, having vision colored by the fact that I've read future issues. But I, my guess is a lot of people might be assuming the leader would be Heather or the leader would be Shaman. But seeing more from Puck, he now becomes a contender, in my mind, for mm. this question of who will lead Alpha Flight. Obviously, Wolverine is on the table, too, because he just randomly shows up. So that always means he might come back. But I don't know how many people really think Oh, they're going to take Wolverine away from the X Men. I don't really think that was a live question at the time. I don't know, but 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 maybe this issue does function very well in setting up Punk Puck as a potential future leader. Doug, what do you think about that? Do you think that might be part of what's going on in this storyline? I mean, I guess ideally, but the problem is that his heroism is only being experienced by like one character at a time. Right. That's yeah, true. And, and for and for the central other characters who are spread out all across this giant country i mean they don't know any i mean why (laughs) when this horrible thing is happening why don't they call all the members of alpha flight together to at least you know confer and talk about it they can't email them so just have them all show up most of them look shaman can just teleport basically over there anyway It, it feels like all of these pieces are so disconnected because no members know what's going on with the other members and that to me is a problem for the for anyone who's going to be a, a potential leader, uh, though I, I can't help but think, Liam, what you mentioned at the beginning, the fact that they don't have a central location where they all exist and can meet, that, that now that you mention it, is a huge problem. But what what reinforces that problem is that they all have their individual home bases, which are based on provinces, you know, in some way uh, in the country. So how can you even define a central location? It's a, there's a lot of problems that they're going to have to solve before this team is going to feel like a real team. I think that's an interesting transition, Doug, uh, to talk about this storyline with Roger Box, because um, I think Byrne sees this looseness as an advantage in that he can Mm -hmm. tell the story of someone like Roger Box. And because Alpha Flight is such a loose narrative, uh, 
maybe Roger Box is now part of Alpha Flight. You know what I mean? Like, sure. in the sense of, like, we care about this character because he is as relevant to anything going on as anyone else. Um, he, you know, we've met him. We know his name. We know he goes into a big old robot. So, like, that's as much information as we have about a lot of these characters. Um, so, all of a sudden, when we are following his narrative, yes, it's to get revenge. Although, I think it was very good that you pointed out. Did anyone actually murder Guardian? <laughs> not really. That's not really actually what happened. But um, but I do appreciate the idea that um, we now have a reason to see more of him because I think he's an interesting character and they can go interesting places with him. Uh, let's mention really quick, Wolverine does make a guest appearance. It's very quick, but it, it's, it seems, based upon the ad at the end of the issue, to be important for future... Uh, conversations around the leadership of Alpha Flight, I guess. Uh, uh, Doug, what did you think about this uh, section with Heather and Wolverine in this issue? It's still, it's we haven't really talked about, it, but like a character's legs being injured in a way where they've just been really sliced up—that's a really unusual injury that she's dealing with here. And but I mean, I like I like the idea that the dream sequence that we talked about in the last episode where Wolverine was part of it. I mean, it makes sense that he would come and check on her and have this conversation. And I also like that they address the fact that Wolverine has basically been banned from Canada for the things that happened previously. And that, you know, he's like, I have ways of getting over here if I need to. Yeah, sure. Um, So to me, this is something that needed to happen. It's just that when it's happening, it's not that interesting. This kind of could have happened off screen, but I can understand why you don't want to make a Wolverine appearance you know, uh, you want to make sure that that is it happens in the issue. Like I, I said before, I'm just glad Byrne didn't put it on the cover because um, Wolverine hasn't had much of an impact on these Alpha Flight plots. And if he's going to, I'd rather he be in the mix uh, and in the midst of the action rather than, you know, having side conversations with someone that he's a friend with. Sure. Yeah, it, it's just a random little thing. I, I get why it's there. And it... it it is kind of cool when he shows up, but it is kind of like I don't want I, – I, I'd rather see him in an adventure than just, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, all right. Well, I think we've covered all of the narrative aspects of this issue. Let's talk about the art. Uh, uh, Adriana, would you like to start us off here? What did you find compelling and interesting about the art? Maybe there was stuff that you didn't like as well. What do you think about the art in uh, issue Six or uh, yeah, sixteen. I already kind of touched on it uh, towards the beginning of our conversation about this issue, but just I like the the grotesque aesthetics of the monster that they battle. Uh, yeah, and the interior of the master's vessel. Burn put a lot of detail into the machinery. <laughs> okay, I appreciate that, Doug. What do you think about the art of this issue? I think that. John Byrne really excels at the grotesque and there is one full page image of the master after his helmet is ripped off and his face is sort of melted and it's it's really kind of gross to look at yeah. and it, it's really impressive as well. Much more impressive than actually seeing the master standing there in his gear um, and you really get the sense that you know things have gone out of control and that the plan has gone haywire and I really like that. I do like the monster. I do like the otherworldly um, uh, Lovecraftian aspect of it, uh, and I do, I do like that. Everything after the helmet comes off feels a little out of control, and I think the art really reinforces that. Like things are just crazy, things are happening all over the place. This thing is gonna. So I really, really like that. I really like the way that that Burn 
has that kind of collection of electronics that are not quite identifiable and watching them come together into the form of an arm. I really like that kind of thing. Uh, and I hope we're going to see more of it when it comes to this character. I gotta agree with y'all. All the gross details in this issue are great, and I like them a lot. Uh, I think some of the other stuff can be a little choppy at times. Um, there's a few of the action sequences where the proportions of Puck kind of change a teeny bit, and I and I don't. It's just a little off, um, and it's it's noticeable only for me only because I feel like Burn usually is pretty good at action, but there's just parts here that don't work as well. But I think those are counterbalanced with, as you pointed out, the details of the master ship, the details of the creature. Like, there's a lot of stuff to here that really works. The only part that I actually found kind of um, distracting in that I I didn't love it was the sequence with Heather and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, the Heather in this issue compared to the Heather of our first issue and they don't even look like the same person. And, and I get that, uh, burn is sort of doing an interpretive thing, like kind of like he does with Aurora where Jean Marie kind of looks like Aurora, but also kind of looks different than Aurora. Uh, it's like Heather's not feeling well. So mm. her face and her hair and everything is drawn kind of differently, but also that doesn't make sense because she just has hurt legs. So it's not like she would be emaciated and gaunt because her legs are cut. So I, I get that it's a bit interpretive, like that, you know, when we see Heather, especially like when she's having lunch with Puck, she's looking surprisingly happy and upbeat considering the trauma she's been through. And then now she just survived this thing, so she's supposed to look a little harrowed. But the difference is so stark that it like it's noticeable in a way that I found just a little bit distracting. Um, And I feel like this is maybe going to be a theme a little bit, which is like in order to uh, portray an emotion, burn changes the, the representation of a character so much that it looks like a, almost an entirely different person. I I think that's an interesting point you made, Liam. You're right. She does look very different, but I do think that you can explain that from the fact that she's been horribly traumatized and has been having bad dreams. I guess so. You know, and and also just went through this um, leg injury thing. So the fact that she's had a lot of growing up to do over the last few months is uh, could be the explanation right there. Yeah, you're not going to be looking your best after you've been through all that and are spending time in the hospital. I guess. It just feels like a, a more dramatic difference that makes sense to me. But, you know, whatever. I also think that's just his style, you know, that he – the drawing is not going to be the same. It's going to represent an emotion he's trying to convey. But, I mean, literally her haircut is different. It's like she went through this trauma and then got a haircut and then was like <laughs> – in the hospital so i, I mean, don't if nothing else this uh, this issue really reinforces that yeah trauma creates haircuts yeah that's, the that's whole true deal. that's very possible but that being said uh that's a minor thought and it doesn't take away from the fact that all of the gross stuff and the detail on the machines and all that stuff is great and i i do really love the way he does machinery it's it's a very uh a, a lot of people when they represent sort of futuristic tech they make it smooth it's like a you know think about like a star trek the next generation like everything is futuristic because it doesn't have pieces and for burn he really likes to show technology that has bits and pieces that are put together and i really really like that i like the detail of it yeah me too and it's really compelling to me um and kind of explains some of the things i like aesthetically otherwise as well uh, so I think that wraps us up on these three issues, but now we have one of the most important parts of the show, <laughs> Doug's Canada Facts. Well, 
I mean, there's a few Canadian-specific things that were discussed in these three issues that might be interesting to our uh, listeners. But all I really want to talk about is Ontario Place, which, of course, is where Heather and Puck had their little relaxation time uh, in issue 14, I believe. Uh, and Ontario Place is an entertainment venue in Toronto. It basically is three separate little islands. Um, and it was opened in May 1971 and operated as a as a theme park at the time. But it's most well known now for the Cinesphere, which is actually displayed and drawn in the issue proper. And it's the original IMAX theater. So uh, it's where, you know, the you saw these gigantic projections. Uh, and as I mentioned before, it may be... The one that they went to see in this movie, there weren't a lot of necessarily a lot of options in terms of uh, viewing. I once went to Niagara Falls. I went to an IMAX theater. I was very excited about it. But all they ended up showing was this stupid recreation of someone walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And it was like 20 minutes long. And I felt like I wasted all my money. But you can go see things at the uh, Cinesphere, including a had a special showing of Speed Racer last year. That would have been very interesting. However, you might not be able to enjoy it for very long because our current premier in Ontario, Doug Ford, is thinking about tearing the whole thing down because he's garbage. <laughs> I appreciate that, Doug. We're not going to let our politics seep out necessarily on this show. But believe me, he's garbage. <laughs> I, I'm... Completely comfortable with that. And I, I just want to, one other thing, Liam, which is that the very first issue we talked about, issue number 14, starts with a quote from Robert Service's poem, The Spell of the Yukon. We've talked about Robert W. Service before, uh, known as the Bard of the Yukon. Uh, he wrote a lot of poetry about the Yukon and the Northwest Territories, a British-Canadian poet uh, who died in the uh, late 1950s. Hey, I don't think we need to, to belabor the point, but I did go and read the poem proper. Hey, it's pretty nice, but... Uh, I, I, it does seem kind of overboard that that Byrne has quoted the same poet twice in the uh, in the number of issues that we've read so far. Maybe it's the only one he knows. I don't know. Potentially. Well, uh, thank you for that, Doug. It's always informative and not at all uh, boring, and I appreciate that uh, uh-huh. because it's about Canada, so it could be very boring. So uh, thank you for giving us all those interesting tidbits. Um, I actually kind of want to check out the Cinesphere now. I don't know. It's probably a little uh, – unimpressive compared to other IMAX, but I just think those things are cool. I mean, it's been, it's been, uh, like updated. Like, like they've sure. renovated and things like that. And in recent years, in fact, uh, and, and in fact, uh, that, that speed racer screening that I mentioned was put on by a friend of mine, Peter Kaplowski, who's appeared on our other podcast, Liam. And, um, and you know, apparently it's quite a unique, fun venue, which I've never been to. Like I said, I'm going to regret not going to that good, the bad, and the ugly screening probably for the rest of my life, especially when dummy old Doug Ford tears the whole thing down. Well, uh, you did not take advantage of the opportunities that were afforded to you, unlike our listeners who've been taking advantage of this awesome Alpha Flight podcast. Uh, We are so grateful to you for checking us out for our sixth episode on our next episode we'll continue on including uh, a very apparently important issue in issue 17 where everything changes and the x-men guest star and it's going to be the most exciting issue ever or maybe not well who knows we'll find out soon uh so join us back for episode seven to talk about that uh adriana if people would like to keep up with you on the internets how would they do that well they could find me on twitter at ead XBB. How about you, Doug? What if they wanted to, uh, for some reason, know more about you and what you think? You can, of course, find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And you can check out uh, Liam and my other podcast called Eric Roberts is the 
swear word name. <laughs> Sorry, not name, swear word man. Boy, let me try that again. Eric Roberts is the swear word man, uh, and you can check that out on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M or on uh, the internet at, at com. If you would like to keep up with the rest of our shows here at Cinepunks, uh, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Cinepunks with an X. Also on Instagram, Cinepunks with an X. And we're also on Facebook, Facebook backslash Cinepunks with an X. Uh, and if you are interested in following the flight stuff, Adriana, where, where would they follow us on Twitter? What is our flight stuff Twitter and where can they email us? Our Twitter handle is at flight stuff pod. And you can also shoot us an email at flightstuffpodcast at gmail.com well thank you everyone for checking us out please uh rate review and subscribe on whatever podcast apparatus you like to use so we appreciate you so much and we can't wait to uh uh talk to you again about canada's premier fighting force flight stuff out